episode 86 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 30th of March, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So here we are. Things have got even worse over the last two weeks. Uh, we talked about Foss Talk Live 2020 last time and possibly cancelling it. Well, the inevitable has happened. It has been cancelled. It is no more. I have cancelled everyone's tickets one by one. Thanks, Eventbrite. Uh, <laughs> refunded everyone. And so that's it. Fingers crossed for 2021, I'm afraid. Are you much out of pocket? Um, I don't know. I don't know if Eventbrite are going to refund me for the fees from the uh, donation tickets. And I don't know if they're going to invoice me uh, in a couple of days for the other fees that I'm due. So, yeah, I don't know. It won't be massively out of pocket. I can swallow it if needs be. So, yeah, that sucks. No, but maybe maybe it's a good time to, you know, support the podcast. You know, it'll help. Yeah, every little helps. Uh, com slash support. But, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. And, you know, the venue was free and everything, and they the venue were really understanding. I think that um, no matter what happens, once all this gets back to normal, we need to go to the Harrison and just, like, drink loads and get some food because they've been so good about this whole thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about six months of lockdown now, but let's see. But if it is all over and it is still nice weather, I would certainly be up for going into London for a few beers to the Harrison. Yeah, me too. Me too. The um, One of our local breweries has been stuck with a load of beer, so I've been getting beer deliveries from them every week, which is pretty nice. good. It's very yeah. charitable of you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Fresh from the cask. So it, there's no avoiding it, this whole virus situation. Um how is this going to affect Linux is the big question. Linux open source, we've already seen conferences being cancelled or going online. Um, I did see Michael Hall, former community manager at Ubuntu, talking about UDS and how that was taken online for, I presume, cost reasons, and it was just never the same. Was that in your time, Will? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, Michael Hall, now at Influx Data, by the way, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was in my time, and he's right. It wasn't ever the same. the The in person meetings where you would have um, a session about a particular topic, you would have people from the community there, you'd have people from Canonical there, all you know meeting around a particular topic, and then it would spill out into the hallway, and then you'd go for dinner, and that conversation would carry on, and it's never going to be the same. You're never going to be able to recapture all of those sort of side conversations and uh, random encounters that you get from doing an in-person event. Um, now, that's not to say that the alternative is uh, unworkable or unproductive. It's just that sort of FaceTime social interaction that will be missing. Um, and there's not a lot you can do about that in a lockdown environment, but it won't be the same. Yeah, in semi-related news, I think O'Reilly has announced that it's no longer doing um, in-person conferences, you know, and that's, that's quite big news considering how long they've done it. And that includes things, you know, expensive things like OzCon, which has been running for years. I went to OzCon for years um, because the ticket was paid for by being a journalist. But it's all the all that contact. Um, it's difficult. We're going to have to learn how to do it or Mm. If, 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 if it's even possible, I don't know. A lot of it, I don't know whether it's a British thing, but a lot of it is just going for a drink and, uh, you know, chatting into the night. 
Yeah, that's where the true value of these meetups lies, doesn't it? Is the almost intangible aspects of it. And how many open source projects have started from a conversation in a pub and, you know, maybe someone whips out their laptop and, and starts coding it or whatever, um, or even just just a conversation about how the thing's going to work and then people go away and and make it. So we're inevitably going to see less of that, aren't we? But maybe it will mean that people will concentrate more on the projects that we've already got and refining them. Yeah, and there's a lot of people with social anxiety as well, and maybe they felt like they couldn't attend conferences, and this might give them the opportunity to get involved somehow. Either that, or we need to, with a lot of the uh, online conference talk type things, integrate it with chat roulette, and then you can have those <laughs> awkward bumping into somebody that you don't really know, and then going, oh, hi, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we, I didn't touch on on this episode, but we talked about last time about Fostalk Live. I, I just don't want to do it uh, virtually or online or whatever you want to call it i see people trying to do that but i just think that the entire value of Fostop live was about being there and in person or maybe not the entire but you know most of it and um like i said if someone else wants to organize something i'll show up and you know i, I might start um some regular uh, mumble hangout or something i don't know like i see a lot of people making those efforts to do extra live streams and everything because people are sitting at home just terribly bored. It's a bit too early to say, but this these circumstances might force kind of innovation in this way that leads to a better solution for kind of big online gatherings, if that's possible, if, it, if there's a different way of doing it. And in lots of other ways as well, people are going to have to look at the old problems from a different angle. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that we will see innovation here. Um, and take, for example, Martin Wimpress, who over the last couple of weeks has been live streaming sort of his day-to-day -day bits of work and people have been genuinely interested. Um, and, you know, if you'd have asked me two or three months ago, would somebody be interested in watching somebody fix a bug? Probably not. But <laughs> lack of uh, FaceTime with uh, with people has made uh, made people really interested in this stuff. And it, it is showing that there is a, I don't know if demand is quite the right word, but there is interest in seeing some of the things that are going on behind the scenes in software development, bringing them to the front and uh, and allowing people to interact. So, the, yeah, I think there is quite a lot of scope for new ways of interacting. Martin, I've watched all the cats and all the fails. You're the best of what's left. <laughs> the thing is that um, nothing has changed for me, really, in terms of my day-to-day -day life, because I am so busy and lazy um, that I barely go out anywhere. But I've found myself just needing to reach out to people and have conversations and catch up with people that I otherwise wouldn't have. And there's apparently some data to show that phone calls are uh, the big new thing now, where people would always text each other before, and now people are taking the time to call each other. And I wonder how that's going to affect things. You know, are people going to uh, reconnect with people they haven't spoken to for a while? And Since before Brexit, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe the, some ideas and, you know, sparks of new open source projects will come out of that. Well, that makes me think of something. We you see a lot of people doing like virtual beers and hangouts and that sort of thing, Zoom, and having those discussions. Maybe, and I know it's we've already said that we're not going to do Foss Talk Live as one of those, but maybe we should do a late night Linux beer evening uh, with Zoom and uh, and see what comes of it. I'd much rather do Mumble than Zoom. 
Yeah, fair enough. You don't want those trousers choking your style. The thing about Zoom is it's proprietary. It does work well on Linux, um, but at least Mumble is totally open source. Um, and also, I just hate being on camera generally. I've got the worst webcam in the world, um, which I had to dig out because um, we have like a camera on policy at work or whatever, but like, you can barely see me with it. It's like all red and stuff. So I, I, I would potentially be up for it, but um, there's something nice about audio only, I think. Yeah, the camera on policy is an interesting one. Um, I think especially now, I think it is important. You do get some extra degree of understanding about the people that you're working with. If you can see them, you can judge body language, like have they managed to get dressed and um, (laughs) have a shave or, or something like that. You know, you can tell if people are coping well or not with cameras on. So I do think it has... A place, and I do think it is useful. Um, but I also agree that audio only is um, is a bit nicer for sort of idle chat, I suppose. Yeah, and it's also easier to see when people are trying to speak, at least in small groups, if you're having a regular meeting. So, what about people wanting to do good? Then we've seen this huge explosion of folding at home, um, and uh, read about the Debian Bio Hackathon, where they're going to kind of contribute to um, various software, various free software in the medical space. It feels like people want to be doing something to help this, but ultimately, are they really helping? Well, it's the worst kind of way to help. If you look at the the best way to help is to stay at home. I mean, if someone said the best way to help is to, you know, build walls or dig holes, I mean, you feel like you could do something by going out and doing it. By staying at home and doing F all, I mean, it's just, it's not fun. So you can go and see where people might be, you know, desperate to try and do a thing. I mean, I, I would feel that as well myself. Like we help out the neighbors going shopping, whatever, you know, uh, but I mean, it doesn't really feel like anything stunning where you feel a bit of an idle tit sitting around. So if you can make use of a PC, if it maybe helps, I don't know. I mean, I run SETI at home for years. I, don't, I didn't see the aliens come and <laughs> knocking on the door anytime soon. I really don't know how accurate or useful fo- the folding protein stuff is. I'm not sure. but No, but I think there's another side of it. I know somebody who's become so frustrated with various school systems that they're dealing with that they spent the weekend coding up a solution for them um, just so that there's some kind of CMS system that they could use and um, they could get messages to and from the teachers in a in a concise way that's Um, quite cool yeah i think things like that might happen um because these things have never been tested to this extent and they're all a lot of them are falling apart under the kind of loads that they're experiencing and so it's an opportunity to upgrade all of that and Mm. maybe within open source as well and you know that's the way we'd naturally approach it well phantom you work primarily in communications um it don't you so presumably you've been really busy with all of this yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, you don't want to shout about it too much, but <laughs> this disaster has been really good for business. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, uh, I feel like an arms dealer in the middle of a war. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's been interesting because the nature of how it happened so frantically, there's a lot of people who just didn't have the setup for it. it the types of business weren't designed to even run that way, or maybe security implications weren't allowed to. But you could see it across the board where, Companies would say, oh, well, we don't allow, you know, remote access in, whatever. And all of a sudden, your choice is you go out of business or it's allowed. And, you know, how the hell do we do that really quick? And it would just been crazy a couple of weeks, to be quite honest, um, for various clients. So um, it's been good to get it done. Um, 
a shout out to a project, funnily enough, that was being used a few times is guacamole, uh, which is under the Apache.org uh, umbrella now. And it's a an RDP or VNC or even SSH um, kind of gateway, I guess. And uh, that allows you to set up a, a, a HTML5 host that you can then log into and then get to the various protocols on the other end. So it's a way into your network and it's trying to limit, you know, what damage can be done, you know, so it's not just, you know, you might not want to connect everybody into your VPN or whatever. And um, that's a brilliant project. And, you know, <laughs> I think that's been used quite a bit these past few weeks. So you made a good point as well about people um, being made to work from home. I, I think most of us have worked from home for a long time and you always get eye rolling from people who like work in offices or certain kind of businesses. And maybe this will reset that when people are confronted with the reality that actually you can work from home. And, you know, if, if you're disciplined and everything, it can work extremely well without filling the roads and offices and all that kind of stuff. Because um, businesses have had to reconsider. Well, what about all the um, the spying and tracking software? I mean, you know, there's a feature of Zoom that uh, watches you uh, to to make sure that you're not um, well, to make sure your attention's on the uh, the call or whatever. Um, and there's there's various other tracking software uh, that I've been hearing about that businesses are implementing. So it's kind of bad news in in that way, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, if it, I don't know if it was me, I just wouldn't like to work for that kind of company. Yeah, totally. I think that reflects on the relatively young status of working from home as far as these sort of big corporations are concerned. Um, they just immediately assume that it's impossible. They've never done it before. They're scared by it. They don't really understand how it's going to work. And so they assume the worst. Uh, and in some cases, they're probably right to do that. But I hope that working from home will mature as a, an option for people working for these big companies. And we'll see more and more of it in the future. And hopefully then the tracking and the spying will reduce. And also, I guess, in the office, they're doing that. You know, so it's not like the job completely changes. They're probably having to be sat at their desk and seem to, you know, be working and having probably 10 minute breaks at the right time and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And certainly the places I've worked in the past, there, there are strategies for dealing with that sort of um, looking busy, right? You mm. get a clipboard and you walk around <laughs> with it and you look busy and everyone thinks you're busy. So there'll be a whole lot of that going on, I'm sure. Do you think it'll be a switch to more task based work where it's a case of you have a certain number of things that you have to do? And you have to just get them done. And then when you're done, you can knock off at three o'clock or whatever. Well, certainly software development practices are moving to uh, an agile slash Kanban way of working where you've got a backlog. And in theory, you just pick from that list and you know you, you pick the thing that you're interested in working on and then you do it. Uh, and I, I'm not sure about having got your work done and then knocking off because... The, the downsides of Agile is that there's just this never-ending list of things to be done. But I would hope that it would give much more autonomy to the people doing the work to choose the things that they work on uh, and for people to make smart decisions and micromanagement to be kicked out the door. What about the fact that some people are just lazy bastards who need someone to babysit them? Yeah, but they might be just doing the wrong thing or doing it in the wrong environment. I mean, I think we all maybe could look back at either a job or school or whatever where we were just terrible at, but we tend to drift towards something that we were maybe better at. I won't go good at. I mean, that might be stretching it. But yeah. um, 
you know, you might just find that you're in the wrong environment at the wrong time. You know, some people work better at night, some people work better in the morning. I mean, if it, if it was all task-based, you could get people to work at the right time. You know, they were saying recently that teenagers shouldn't be getting up early in the morning. Um, apparently, it messes with their sleep rhythms or God knows what, and they don't learn properly. And, well, yeah, I mean, what's the point? We're all, we're all set to this nine-to-five nonsense. It might be quite good that people get into the right sort of frame for them. Yeah, and also you kind of hire someone because there's stuff that needs to be done, and if they're not doing it, then they're not doing it. They don't have a job. Mm. I, I was going to tell a story then of um, when I worked for a water authority, I had a very boring job of entering stuff into a big spreadsheet, and I wrote a small program in QBasic where it timed how quickly I could type a certain phrase on the keyboard. <laughs> and I had a high score table and everything, and I'd sit there <laughs> typing really, really rapidly. I can't remember how quickly now, but I, I got it like, milliseconds down into how quickly I could type this phrase and I looked like I was working really hard (laughs) (laughs) so overall then is it going to be better worse or the same for Linux free software and open source do we think I think it'd be the same yep I agree I mean we've been doing this for a very long time I mean it's not like everybody goes to the corporate Linux office and works away at the FOSS Inc. You know, like we've been doing this for so long that fair enough, we don't get to meet up for the next few months, but you'd expect we can get back to it at some point. And yeah, in between, I think think we can drag ourselves through maybe. I think it's going to be better. I think it may not be a huge amount better, but I think a lot more people are going to be using open source software because they don't want to buy proprietary software. Linux is is basically the internet, so there's more people using the internet for critical day-to-day tasks. Um, People looking at different scalable solutions. I think all of that will have a knock-on effect. Positive. Yeah, I think you're right about the infrastructure side of things, that that will have to improve. There will have to be optimizations because there's just so much strain on networks and everything. And so ultimately that will be a positive. When we get back to normal, whatever normal looks like, uh, things will be more robust, hopefully, and more efficient and um, more tuned to the next time this happens. And maybe mobile companies, etc., will have to actually, when they say unlimited, mean fucking unlimited, you share of bastards. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and FreeBSD, and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, KDE Corner then. And the first big news is Plasma Big Screen. Yeah, um, this is quite cool. Now, I haven't tried it because I didn't have a Pi 4. I guess I could have stuck it in a VM potentially, but I didn't even think about that. 
but it's a bit like the kind of, well, I would almost say a bit like the Netflix interface crossed with um, a voice assistant. And they tie in Mycroft and uh, sort of, they're obviously trying to find their place in the living room now that they found it on the mobile phone and they've already owned the computer market, let's just face it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it looks really cool. I'm actually kind of looking forward to trying it out because it, it looks really kind of fun. Um Obviously, the slight issue is the fact they do use Google uh, speech-to-text to convert whatever you say into a command. But as they're kind of proxying it for you, you're kind of hoping that it's it's fairly anonymized at that point. And they do allow you to like tie it in things like Mozilla Deep, uh, Deep Speech. Sorry. Um, so there are other alternative backends for it and stuff like that as well. And um, yeah, kind of cool, I think. Yeah, it's using Mycroft, of course, so it's kind of a resurgence for that project. And I've tried it out, and it's promising, but early, let's say. That's fair enough. Unfortunately, I couldn't get the Mycroft stuff working because I I hooked up my interface and uh, my audio interface to the Pi, and it just wouldn't work. So I need to try a different interface, maybe, and try and get it working. But um, yeah, it's, it's cool. I do question whether we need it when we have things like Corody, but um, I suppose the voice integration brings it onto a par with Android, at least in theory. I think I think it's important to kind of be there, though, uh, to have some sort of foot in the game, because foot in the game, whatever, uh, because there is a danger that we're going to get left behind by a lot of these things. Like, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than having a home assistant that you speak into a fucking microphone. It's just awful. But obviously, it's popular. And it'd be terrible if we end up in a position where we just aren't there for it and then it drifts by. Um, so, yeah, ho- hopefully they can do some good work with this. All right, what's this Plasma video winner? So they had a competition to make a video to demonstrate both the apps and Plasma, and uh, those have been released, and check them out, I'd say. Um, just nice wee video of some of the features available and a uh, quick run through them. I think it was under two minute video or something that people had to make. And uh, they have two winners for both the Plasma side and the app side. Just a bit of a quick demo of them all. And something that I put in KDE Corner was the president of KDE EV. I don't know exactly what the structure is. It's some fancy German situation. Um, Was interviewed by Brent on Brunch with Brent which is at extras.show slash 66. That's something at work, full disclosure, but uh, nevertheless, worth a listen if you're into KDE stuff. Yeah, and even if you're not, I think it's quite good because he talks about some of the, the harshness of working online and taking abuse from people constantly and, you know, be nice to the open source developers out there, especially over the next few weeks when you're using their projects more. <laughs> yeah. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated, especially at this difficult time. Remember that for $5 or more, you can get an advert-free RSS feed on Patreon. You can learn more about that at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. 
They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. You can select late-night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Once again, Phelim and I have been arguing about the cloud. It's and this shite. was <laughs> <laughs> This was based around uh, NASA and their recent mistake with AWS where they put, I think, petabytes of data into AWS and then realized it was going to be so expensive to get that data back out again that they were just buggered. Yeah, they mistakenly thought that the cloud was useful but not an actual <laughs> gouge like it is. That got us arguing about the, the same old tired argument that the cloud, to me, has a use. It is often misused. Um, this is a prime example of that. But I think that it can be useful. If you've got petabytes of data, then clearly um, on-premises with um, you know, off-site backups and all the rest of it makes sense. But if you're using a limited data set, but you need uh, bursts of compute, then the cloud makes more sense. It makes no sense to build massively powerful computers. And, you know, it's, it's a case of just using what is sensible. Surely you can agree with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I can't look at the numbers. I, I can't walk into Amazon's office in Dublin here and go, here, give us a look at the spreadsheet there that shows how much money you're making on this thing because they are making hand over fist mountains of cash on this. So clearly it is in their best interest that people use their systems. And while NASA obviously fucked up big style on this one, how are they making so much money on old rope, essentially? Like if you have virtual machines, I am I like would like to point out, I am not saying virtual machines are stupid. Virtual machines are great. If you have a hosted solution somewhere, that's fantastic too. And you should be not treating machines as prized possessions as I was accused of before. But the danger with any cloud solution is getting that data back out again. You can put that data in fantastic, all for free, probably in a lot of cases. But try to move somewhere else with it or do something else with it, and you're screwed. Well, yeah, that's why you have to design your infrastructure and your systems properly so that you've got um, what uh, IBM likes to call a hybrid cloud approach, where you do have some on-prem as well. You do have it mirrored, all your data, so that if you need to move it, you're not moving it from one cloud to another. You're moving it from your on-prem to a different cloud. Yeah, this is just a new way to form new forms of middle management, though. <laughs> That's what it is, though. Like The best way you can get is from producer straight into production. And they are now adding in extra layers upon layers to the point where you can't even know how your own architecture fully works because there's so many different things. You probably have an Ansible build-out system or Salt Stack on top of that. Maybe use both of them, and then you're using the various tools from various OSs to try and run this whole giant system. And it's you're just making things so fucking complicated for the sake of this supposed cheaper thing than buying a server, whereas if you bought a decent server, maybe you might need two of them and then just be done with the damn thing and then run them like that. Right. Which leads me on to something that I've been thinking a lot about over the last few months. And that is, we all remember, or at least we're all aware of, in the late 1990s, there was a huge split between free software and what became open source. Now, free software and open source are essentially synonymous. Some people might argue with that, but they are basically the same thing. But it's just a different way of looking at the same thing. 
And I think we are living through the second big split right now. And that is between Linux and the cloud or Linux and cloud. Because you've got the cloud which runs all on Linux, but the kind of people who are kind of cloud first don't necessarily care that it's running Linux. They just want to get stuff done. They don't really care about uh, what it's all made of. Whereas the people like you, Phelium, who are very much Linux people, do care about what it's all made of and, and do think about things like vendor lock-in and um, the price of getting your data out and stuff. Am I going mad here or has a split been happening over the last few years? I can see what you mean and you might be right, but I think I don't think there's like a, it's a cataclysmic split. I think it's been growing for a long time. I mean, um, I think you see it in the use of permissive licenses um, and also in the fact that so many web apps are proprietary. One of the solutions is likely to be, I mean, you mentioned hybrid cloud. One of the reasons why perhaps Amazon is able to charge what it is is because there's nothing that can compete with it. Um, and the only way, if I was somebody implementing something that used the cloud, took advantage of the great advantages there are with cloud solutions that you, you don't want the vendor lock-in and perhaps the only way of doing that is open source and maybe we've lost that in the in the last 10 years of cloud growth because people have been so quick to jump on oh, 20 years um you know closing down their their huge computer labs um and all that big automated stuff um and maybe we'll see it come back so i'm not sure it's like a a one-way street with this this change, um, although I, you know it's difficult to see Amazon losing any share of its storage anyway. The problem I think with that is though the fact if you want to fully utilize a cloud solution, you could probably save an awful lot of money by doing that. But you only can do that if you go all in with those guys. Yeah, but how do you scale? That's the, I think that's the problem, isn't it? What happens if you are just a small website, but you need to be able to cater for huge growth if there's a huge global catastrophe? I don't think you need to have your whole website on the cloud. I just think you need to have a really good CDN. I think you need to utilize vendor ne neutral platforms that are, you know, keep your data. It's your data. You should never let that go because it's so important to keep that. Keep that on your own systems. Understand how it works. Don't lose all the skills related to how to run it all. Fair enough. If you need to like globally scale and the fact that you're getting hammered or slashed, uh, uh, if you want to go old school, <laughs> then have a fucking CDN and then your website stays up. Your website is still the crappy Apache, horrible version of whatever it is, but you can serve it to as many people as you need to. It's not like I don't see so many people going, oh my God, all of a sudden I need to compute like 57 gigaflops. I don't disagree with your argument, but I think that is viewing things as a sort of static website. If you were um, a commerce website, then you would need a database which could be scaled horizontally very, very quickly. And like just having a CDN in front of you is not going to help you with those sorts of problems. Um, so I think you can design a website to be cloud aware so that you could use all of these elastic solutions that uh, Amazon and Azure and Google will provide you with and not be absolutely dependent on their technologies. But I think you do need to plan for that from the beginning so that if you do need to use it, then you can. Just having a static website is not going to solve all of your problems. But getting it back to my 
point. Uh, Phelan, you are massively proving it as far as I'm concerned. You and um, some other sysadmins I know who I won't name. Oh, I get named and they don't, the <laughs> bastards. <laughs> well, let, let's say uh, a listener of the show who may host another sysadmin show that I might have something to do with. I, I see your type as very much living in this old-fashioned world which i'm sure isn't isn't going to go away but like you're in this linux world where you fully understand from top to bottom everything that is going on when you design a system you know from the kernel to the the application that's running on top of it at the you know the the user facing bit of it you know and understand more or less everything that's happening there's no abstraction there whereas there's the more modern approach and i i think that it's it's almost like the people like you who are you know linux people really care about all of that stuff and care about software freedom and everything whereas the people who just are cloud first it seems that they just want to get a job done and they're more the kind of nine to fivers rather than the people who live it like you when you're not working are tinkering with your own systems uh, whether it's at home or you know raspberry pis or and all stuff like that whereas it seems like people just want to kind of design something that works and then not worry about it and not they're not as invested in the whole linux and open source culture almost sure but i think the danger there is the fact that you lose those skills um and those things have not gone away you've just outsourced them to another company who makes profit on the fact that they are doing it for you. And if at any point that no longer is in their best interest or they've discovered that there's a new way to make money out of you, then all of a sudden you're going to have to manage it again yourself because they'll ditch it. Now, I don't see that happening where, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, well, we're turning off AWS in two weeks' time. Good luck with that. Or Microsoft Azure has decided that, yeah, ah, can't be arsed with those servers. On you go, do it yourself. But the problem is that you have now lost all that knowledge, and if you even take Microsoft as an example, back in the 90s where they had all the guys who developed um, the, the file share system for them, for Samba, or sorry, in their case, SMB, when it got to the point of all the lawsuits and eventually they kind of shook hands and it was all friends again, when the early Samba guys were going to their conferences, they showed their documentation, how things worked, and they went can we have a copy of that? And they were like, obviously, it's free software, it's available. And they said, well, the reason why is we've lost those guys. For 10 years, we haven't had anybody who even knows how that thing works. We can't touch that piece of code because that's a black box to us at this point. So even in the company where they're they're doing a thing like that, you you've end up at a point where your own technical debt is the bit that drowns you. If you're outsourcing all of those skills and you're like, oh, my amazing new website's going to be so good, I'm going to only need like these three designers and a couple of tech architects. Yeah, fair enough. It's all fine while that is all current. But, you know, unless you're planning to have a, a business that runs for about five years and then folds, at some point, you're going to have technical debt and then you're going to have to deal with that. But you won't have the skills available to you to do that. Well, yeah, they, these are the same arguments that you made last time we talked about this. And yeah, you and just, I'm right. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> every, every word that comes out of your mouth proves my point as far as I'm concerned that, you know, that you, there is this split and you're on one side of it and there are a hell of a lot of people on the other side. And just remember, though, cloud computing now is trendy. It's not going to be trendy in five 10 years and then then you're all stuffed all you cloud people and i hope you enjoy it i think it's here to stay 
and I think old man yells at cloud is what's going on here. Um, <laughs> I think it's here to stay and we need to, or people need to get up to speed on these sorts of skills. Now um, you can start a business in your garage and you can be you know, selling widgets online in half an hour and you don't need to hire you know, a grey beard nerd that understands how file systems work. You can just buy what you need off the shelf. Um, and while I, it, that makes me a little bit sad that those skills are going away and that people won't have them anymore, I think that that is the modern way and we are increasingly being seen as dinosaurs. Just do me a favour, Phelim, and scratch your neck for me. No, see, it's all good. Uh, no grey beard there? <laughs> no, no, I diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us know what you think. LateNightLinux.com slash contact. I'm sure we can reignite this debate. But I suppose we better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelim. I'm still Graham. Stay indoors. <laughs> See you later.